Have you ever heard someone talk about toxic theology? Maybe you've even been disillusioned or frustrated with modern Christianity and you wonder what's next on your own faith journey. Should you deconstruct your faith? What does that even mean? Does deconstruction just mean figuring out what you believe or has it turned into a direct path away from God? We're gonna be talking about all of that and more on today's episode of Theology On Air. Well, welcome back to Theology On Air. We are, of course, an offshoot of Theology by the Pint, where we meet together here in Houston for now uh, to talk about kind of juicy, controversial topics around faith, the Bible, culture, theology. Um, We do that all over really good craft beer and a good sense of humor so that everybody can get along while we charitably disagree about things. But here in the studio, in the podcast, we get to dive even deeper and have these kinds of cool conversations with authors and thinkers all around the world, which is really fun. So I am Sarah Stone. I'm the executive director of Theology by the Pint. I'm joined as usual by uh, Evan McClanahan, senior pastor of First Lutheran Church here in Midtown that houses our cute little studio. And our guest today, one of them has been with us before, but we have someone new. So we have Elisa Childers and Tim Barnett. They are co-authors of the book we're going to be talking about, but um, you guys may uh, recognize Elisa. Elisa is a wife, mom, author, blogger, speaker, worship leader, just to name a few. She was, if you are in the right age category, you'll know this. She was the member of the award-winning CCM recording group, Zoe Girl. Uh, she's an apologetic speaker. She's a podcast host. You've probably seen her podcast. Her story was featured in the documentary American Gospel, Christ Crucified. That was, if you have not seen the American Gospel movies, you should go see them. I think at some point they were like Amazon Prime, but now just Google them. I think they have their own channel. And then Tim Barnett is a husband, father, author, and social media content creator. He is a speaker and apologist for Stand to Reason. We just had Greg Kokel on the show. So that's that connection. Mm-hmm. In addition, his online presence on Red Pen Logic with Mr. B helps people assess bad thinking by using good thinking. Sounds so simple. Tim lives in the greater Toronto area with his wife, Stacy, and they have three daughters and a Morkapoo, which sounds like a robot, but I assume it's a kind of dog. I don't know. What What is a Morkapoo, Tim? So it is a dog, um, although I joke that it's more like a oversized rabbit. So during COVID, during COVID, um, we had a hamster named Teddy and Teddy unfortunately uh, died. And uh, it was, was it from it COVID? Was real, Sorry. you know what? It was really sad. I think it was actually from my girls just kind of playing with him, to be honest. I found out after doing a bit of research that they die um, pretty easily, actually oh, just from being scared and, and oh, uh, scared to so, death, I literally. Mean, yeah. Kind, yeah. And so I don't know if that's what happened, but they were playing with him when he expired and, um, and I felt horrible and they were just broken. And so kind of as a dad, I was like, Hey, we're getting a new pet. And within a week we had a Morky poo, which is a, a Maltese poodle Yorkie mix. So it's a nine pound ball of, of fluff and uh she's adorable she's like a stuffed animal we love her but harder to kill let's hope okay yeah we I started that things off on a real dark note for our... that like yeah. lenny and of mice and men wasn't that what he did i don't know you know he loved the mice too much in the barn of mice and men that's okay that's Sorry. right okay teddy <laughs> probably died from too much love that is what much we'll love. say yeah. oh that's way better than being scared to death okay So before we climb into the topic at hand and the book, 
I would love our listeners just to learn a little bit about each of you. If people didn't listen to the interview that we did with you, Elisa, I'm going to have you start, but just tell us a little bit about your own faith journey and what brought you to the place where you're exploring the ideas like we're going to be talking about today. And then we'll, we'll hit up Tim and go from there. Yeah, well, I never saw myself doing what I'm doing today because I always saw myself as just being in music for my whole life. I Ever since I was a little girl, I knew that I wanted to be in music. And so in the late 90s, early 2000s, I got to sort of live that dream a little bit as a part of the contemporary Christian music group Zoe Girl. Some of your older listeners will remember maybe Zoe Girl. And so that lasted about eight years. And um, just a lifelong Christian, loved Jesus with all my heart as far back as I can remember, really loved the Bible. I had read almost the whole Bible by the time I was 12 years old, uh, just oh really devoted to to the Lord and devoted to scripture. And, um, you know, that was tested in various ways throughout my life through, you know, suffering and different types of things, but it really was never tested intellectually. And I didn't even realize that as an adult. So after Zoe Girl came off the road, my husband and I started attending a church here in Middle Tennessee where we live, and we just loved this church. And so after we'd been attending there for a while, the pastor pulled me aside and he said, you know, you're kind of this out-of-the-box thinker. I'd really love to invite you to this small uh, inner circle type study and discussion group. He said, this is going to be like going through seminary. We're going to go through all of the, you know, the the deep things of the faith. And uh, and I was really excited because I, I wanted to know, like at that point, I knew what the Bible said and I knew I loved Jesus, but I didn't really know how we got the Bible. I didn't know why mm. we think we have the right books of the Bible. I didn't know why we think the people we think wrote the Bible really wrote it. And mm-hmm. so I was really excited to dig into a lot of that stuff. But what I was really unprepared for was that in the first class, the pastor told the whole class that he was really uh, an agnostic. He used the, the term hopeful agnostic. And, um, you know, I was kind of confused by that, but I thought, well, I don't want to be judgmental. Maybe, you know, he just needs us to support him and pray for him. But over the course of um, the time that I was in the class, just about every core belief that I had held about God and Jesus and the Bible, and I'm not talking about, I mean, we talked about a lot of secondary stuff too, but but core yeah. things like the resurrection, the deity of Jesus, the virgin birth, you know, these, mm-hmm. these kinds of things, these were all really picked apart and explained away. Uh, they were deconstructed. And um, so the church, many years later, would go on to rebrand itself as a progressive Christian community. So it was mm-hmm. one Sunday they became fully LGBTQ plus affirming. They took down the Nicene Creed from their website. They wrote their own creed. And, oh, um, they, they, and they said, you know, we're a progressive Christian community now. And so that was the first time I heard that phrase, progressive Christianity. But by this time, this was... Um, many years later, um, after I had, I, I sort of skipped right over my own faith crisis that happened as a result of that class, which really took years and years and years of studying and and rebuilding to know what I thought was true and what was real. Made a lot of course corrections mm-hmm. along the way, but came out on the other side, really persuaded that that core gospel that my parents had given me really stood up to the scrutiny and reflects reality. And so um, at that point, when I heard that phrase, progressive Christianity, I thought, oh, I kind of have an idea of what that's about because of my experience. But at that point, that's when I started reading as many progressive Christian books as I as I could, listening to their podcasts, Mm -hmm. reading blog posts. Of course, I had people in my life from that church that were good friends that had gone down that path as well. So we were having lots of discussions. And so um, that's what what really made me interested in studying the movement of progressive Christianity as a whole. You know, what is it? How do we define it? What does it look like? And um, so that's what I've been writing about and speaking about ever since. 
Yeah, man, you've got that down into like a nice little bite-sized package, but it's a fascinating <laughs> story. I mean, really, can you imagine your pastor inviting you to be part of a group and you walk in and he's like, oh, by the way, I'm not a Christian, essentially. Yes, yes, you can, of yeah, course. I come out of a church, uh, the, denomin- the ELCA, the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America. Oh, yeah. so mm. The entire denomination did that. But yes, that that wow. if, if you're not expecting it or you don't have any foreshadowing, that must have been quite a shock. So it was, it it was absolutely, um, a shock is the right word. I didn't even know there were Christians that were, were talking about these kinds of things. So it was, was, I was totally naive. Oh, but you're not anymore. But before we get any further into that story, Tim, what's your, give us your story. Do you have it in a nutshell like she does? Uh, well, we'll see. Um, I have a different story and I was born and raised in a Christian home. Um, but I, I tell people my faith was kind of like an inch deep and an inch wide, you know, um, we went to church cause that's what we did. You know, that my parents were part of the church. It was a small, um, country church, but these people loved each other and they loved us. Um, you know, half the, half the congregation I was actually related to. And the other half <laughs> was people we called aunts and uncles, you know, that kind yeah. of thing. Aww. And, uh, at Chris, at Christmas time, you know, there were times when, my parents couldn't, you know, afford to put presents under the tree. And it was mm-hmm. people in the church that mm-hmm. stepped up and made that happen. So I have very fond memories um, of growing up, going to this, this small church. Um, that, that doesn't mean there wasn't some problems. There was, you know, infidelity with the pastor at one point, mm-hmm. and there was some other things that happened. So it wasn't all, you know, uh, butterflies and roses or something. Um, but I went to university and um, was studying physics at a secular university. And it was there actually when my faith was was really challenged. I had a lot of very smart friends from different religious backgrounds, um, Jewish and atheists and, and Muslim and so on. And uh, in my little friend group, they would ask, hey, Tim, you go to church. Why are you a Christian? And honestly, the best I could do when I was asked that question was, well, I'm a Christian because my parents are Christian. Yeah. And, uh, and I knew Jay in that Warner moment, Wallace that wouldn't was, like that answer. <laughs> yeah, he would not. That was a, it was a bad and embarrassing answer, to be honest. And, uh, and I remembered that moment because it was one of those kind of life altering, like, man, I need to really uh, understand what it is that I actually believe. So I went home and started, you know, Googling um, and, uh, and, and I found different, you know, resources, books, um, uh, you know, everyone from Richard Dawkins to, you know, Stan reason, Greg Kokel. I mean, that was kind of my first exposure was finding him just by mm-hmm. searching on the internet. And, uh, and so over time I developed kind of answers to some of the challenges that were out there and, uh, came to change my mind on certain beliefs. It's so interesting because, you know, Christians debate things like the age of the earth and all these different, when in growing up in our church, we didn't talk about any of that stuff. So um, there isn't a lot of like those fundamentalist beliefs that a lot of people talk about in the deconstruction movement having to like get rid of. Well, we just, we didn't, I didn't even know about those debates. We just didn't talk about theology in that way. So um, that was, you know, in my early twenties, kind of going through all that, all that, of course, becoming a teacher. That's what I want to do, become a high school teacher. Uh, But God had different plans. And so for about six years, uh, I worked as a, as a high school teacher and then, um, was doing some of the apologetic stuff on the side. And that Mm -hmm. kind of snowballed into more invitations and more speaking events until uh, I got invited to speak in California at Stand to Reason's big youth conference. Um, And uh, and that was such a cool experience. I thought, man, at the end of that, I can die a happy camper. You know, this was like, this was it for me. 
And, uh, and it turned out it was just the beginning because they offered me a, a job and, uh, and the rest is history. So um, it, we've been doing that ever since. And it was actually through the pandemic that Red Pen Logic started. Um, okay, I, I wonder. Tra- I, yeah, I couldn't travel. I couldn't speak. All the church, I'm here in Canada, you know, just outside Toronto. Churches were closed. And so what am I, what am I going to do? And uh, one of the ideas I, I went to stand to reason with was, hey, what if we do some online stuff? I used to be a teacher, I used to pull out that red pen and grade and mark oh, students, yeah. uh, work. And, uh, and again, we we correct because we care. It's not because we're, you know, we don't like mm-hmm. our students or something. No, we want them to improve. And uh, so I gave it a shot. I took a popular meme tweet that was uh, going around on the on Twitter, I think, and uh, put the red pen to it. And people were sharing, liking all that stuff. And so we ended up continuing that process and actually making videos. And, uh, and here we are years later and it's just doing really well. Very cool. So it's obvious why Elisa is particularly interested in this idea of deconstruction and progressive Mm. Christianity, but where did that kind of catch you? Because then you guys sort of found each other to write this current book. That's right. So a couple of years ago, I had been invited to speak at a camp. Um, and I was the morning speaker from Monday to Friday. And so there was five sessions and uh, deconstruction was kind of a bit, it was a big deal at the time. In fact, I don't know if it was Marty Sampson or, or, or one of these other kind of big name Christian music industry uh, persons, you know, went on Instagram or one of these platforms and declared that they're out, they're gone. And um, I thought, man, I want to understand what's going on. I mean, if the church is going to give a response, they need to understand. So I did a bunch of research, put together this, this course, this little five-day series. And uh, one of the evenings I was sitting at the back of the church, someone else was up front speaking. And I, it occurred to me, someone needs to write a book on this particular issue. There wasn't anything at the time. And of course, Elisa Childers came to mind because I saw the connection between deconstruction and progressive Christianity. It's like deconstruction is like the vehicle that is taking a lot of people towards something like progressive Christianity, although they might end up somewhere else. And so I sent just Elisa a text and said something like, Elisa, are you going to write a book on this? You know, and mm-hmm. Elisa, what did you what did you say? <laughs> I said, um, no, I, there's no way I can write a book on this because when Tim texted me, I I was hip deep in writing my second book and I was really overwhelmed I was so over book writing. And I remember just thinking, if I can get to the finish line on the second book, then I don't have to write another book for like two years. But then Tim had to bring this great idea. And I just knew I was like, we have to do this. And the reason I wanted to write it with Tim as well is because I had been seeing some of his posts uh, about some of the talks he'd been giving and and the way he was thinking about deconstruction. And I was like, wow, he really gets it. And I feel Mm -hmm. like we would be a good, a good team. And then I thought, you know, if I write with someone else, then I don't have to write a whole book by myself. It is like half a book, (laughs) but it ended up being like, I think Tim and I both ended up writing like two books because by the time everything goes back and forth so many times, but um, yeah, but it was great. And I'm, I'm really thankful to Tim, you know, for teaming up on this one. So your second book is something like Live Your Truth and Other Lies or something. What is it? That's right. Yeah. Live Your Truth and Other Lies. How how popular deceptions are making us anxious, exhausted, and self-obsessed. So the funny thing is the like chapter titles in that book or the like the phrases that people use, they're all the phrases that I use ironically. You're like, <laughs> you do you. Live your truth. Yeah. Speak yeah. your truth. 
but but the people in my life know that they like eye roll. They know that I'm saying that. That's right. So yeah. <laughs> okay. So we've actually done a lot of podcasts about deconstructions. I I mm. want to make sure that this one is a, a little bit different. So we did a three part series before we did a live event about evangelicalism, and we had some folks that had deconstructed. We had a couple evangelicals that. At the end, I asked each of them, like, so do you believe Jesus rose from the dead? And they both said no. (gasps) (laughs) At which point I thought, why are you getting up early on Sunday mornings? I mean, it doesn't make any sense. But um, I do want to define some terms, but then I want to really like climb into the nitty gritty of this whole thing. So um, yeah, let's let's talk about uh, three terms that are in your book that you define deconstruction, exvangelical and toxic theology. And I'm going to let, mm-hmm. um, I'm going to ask Tim if you'll start on deconstruction because sure. I know it has like deep roots and also it really means something different than it meant even like five years ago, just colloquially. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah so this is the million dollar question. What is yep. deconstruction? And what you'll find is everyone seems to be using the term to mean something different. And so if you ask, you know, 10 different people about what deconstruction is, you might get 11 different answers. You know, it's that, that kind of thing. Um, so this is this was the challenge actually was writing this book and researching this book. What is what what is deconstruction? And uh, and actually what's really fascinating, and Elisa can go into more of this, is that we actually kind of changed our mind on on how to define deconstruction. We actually I read that started in the book, yeah. We, that's right. We started we thought maybe if you just added the word healthy, then yes. we could somehow make it, we could baptize it, we could make it biblical, you know, redeem it, deconstruction. Yeah versus versus unhealthy or good versus bad, you know, that kind of thing. Um, but what we discovered was when you actually get into what's going on in the deconstruction explosion, and we call it an explosion because it's it seems to be like going out, it has a singular starting point, but goes out every direction. Um, and that's why people end up as atheist or new age or progressive or, or wherever. But they don't normally end up back in some kind of orthodox conservative Christian faith. Um, and so there's there's something fundamental about deconstruction that is not classically Christian, okay? Mm-hmm. And and so this was kind of an eye-opening thing. Um, and, and so when you kind of go through what deconstruction is, here's our definition, and we say it's a postmodern process. We can talk more about that. It's a postmodern process of rethinking your faith. And here's the key without requiring scripture as a standard over and over and over again, as we watched the videos, interviewed people over zoom, read the books, all this, all this stuff, you know, to do research for this book, what we found these, this was consistent um, through the process. And so say, say it uh, one more time, say the phrase one more time. Sure. It's a postmodern process. So it's not a, it's not a neutral process. And this is often what's assumed. It's just like asking questions or maybe it's a synonym for doubt. I'm going to use this new trendy word deconstruction. And what we said, no questioning, doubting and deconstructing are all different things. Mm -hmm. And, um, and so you can be questioning without doubting. And, and you can be doubting without deconstructing. That's right. Deconstruction yeah. is a process. It's a how. It's, how, it's a methodology. Hmm. And this is what became clear. And this is what we hope with our book, people see, that when they read our book and they, and they, and they read the deconstructionists for themselves, what they will find is there is this thing going on that is really toxic in the, in the objective sense. Um, I just actually posted a, a blog post at Sandra Reason 
And I, I talk about why I changed my mind about deconstruction. And I say three things. Deconstruction has no correct destination. It has mm. no end. It, it has no ending. It never ends. And it has no biblical authority. This is three, three things that you find over and over and over again. So you listen to Joe Lumen, or you listen to the naked pastor, or you listen to any of these kind of thought leaders in this deconstruction movement. And they will say, there's no right place to land. It doesn't matter where you land. You can land as an atheist or a progressive or wherever. It's, it's, it's all, all these routes are equally valid is what Joe Lumen says. And so how is that possible? It doesn't <laughs> matter where you land. Well, that's because it's like, it's like, it's like your, your favorite, like vacation spot, your fa your favorite vacation destination. So I was just in Hawaii doing a, you can't tell by my skin color here because I don't tan, but I was just in, in Hawaii uh, doing some YWAM teaching, but it's a cool place for a vacation destination. But if I said that's the right destination, well, some of somebody might say, no, I like Jamaica or I like, you know, mm -hmm. wherever mountains. Yeah. Sure. I like a complete, I like the Arctic. I like Alaska, <laughs> whatever. So it that's because that's a personal feel. That's a personal preference kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And that's what, that's what's going on when it comes to religious deconstruction. They put it in the category of that kind of postmodern, no objective truth. It's, it's just about personal preference. And of course there's no ending. We can talk about no biblical authority as well. The point is this process is not healthy. It is not biblical. It's not doing what the reformers did, you know, Martin mm -hmm, Luther and mm -hmm. so on. It's something totally different. And this is the thing that no one's talking about. I think that oh, there's a lot of Christians, well-meaning Christians who are just trying to baptize the word without doing the deep dive into what's really going on in this movement. Hey guys, Sarah here. Sorry to interrupt what I'm sure is an amazing podcast episode, but I just wanted to tell you that Theology by the Pint is growing. We are now a 501c3 nonprofit organization and we're expanding. This coming year, with your help, we'll grow our reach by adding events in multiple Houston suburbs as well as launch a youth version. Don't worry, those will be pints of iced coffee, not beer. Uh, we're adding follow-up conversations to reach the spiritually curious and the unchurched. We're also growing our connections and partnerships with more local churches. And you can help us grow by praying for us, by telling your friends or church about us, and of course, by partnering with us financially. To donate, go to theologybythepint.org forward slash give. You know, if each of our podcast listeners gave $100, we would reach our annual budget right then. Consider donating today. Okay, enjoy the rest of the show. Do you think the like Brian Zons and the all of the people that are like the liturgists and all the people that are kind of in this field, do you think they would agree with your definition, especially that Bible part? Do you think they would say like, oh yeah, that checks out? Or do you think they'd come back and be like, no, no, no. Like we like mm. the Bible. Elisa, what do you sure. think? So, yeah, Lisa. Well, well, I, I, interestingly, I don't think the liturgists and Zond would agree with one another on deconstruction yeah. from what I've studied, because, you know, Zond wrote a book about deconstruction. And Tim yeah. and I were sort of uh, interested that he we actually kind of think he was more agreeing with what we were saying, that deconstruction is mm -hmm. not a healthy thing. You know, I know yeah. he's kind of gone back and forth on it with some things I've seen him say online. But ultimately, we, we ended up having to cut a lot out of the book because we were like 30,000 words over. But we actually had, we, we ended up taking it out, but we had quoted Zond as, you know, one yeah. of the few, I think, it, kind of in that space that was saying, no, I don't think it's a it's a healthy thing just to deconstruct. And so, I, I mean, there's definitely nuance within uh, the conversation for sure. But um, I, I think 
what, this is the interesting thing on my journey about de defining it is when I, I, I shared my faith crisis earlier. And when I wrote my first book, you know, that faith crisis was intense. It was years long. I busted my beliefs down to the studs, rebuilt them from the studs up. And like I said, there were course corrections along the way. It changed my mind on some things. Um, but it was really painful and it was really agonizing. And there were moments where I didn't even know if God existed at all. And so in the book, I called that deconstruction because mm -hmm. I started hearing people talk about deconstruction. And I was like, oh, well, that's that's what happened to me. But the interesting thing is that when I started my blog and then I started to talk about these things online and I would say, well, I went through deconstruction, mm -hmm. the people in the deconstruction space would say, no, you didn't. You didn't mm -hmm. deconstruct mm -hmm. because you still have toxic theology. Ooh, and so, girl. and you know, and you just, you know, you you still believe these these whatever Archaic, you know they would yeah. they yeah whatever they would want to call this I would call them orthodox Christian beliefs but they would call them you know these antiquated oppressive harmful toxic beliefs so you didn't really you didn't do it right and so that's when I started thinking okay there's more to this yes. than just taking something apart and putting it back together there, like how and it sounds like the word should mean yeah yes right and, yeah. and and there's more to it than simply even even having a crisis there's something more to it that is actually like tim said it's a it's a how it's a how you come to your beliefs and so that's why you know when we're we're thinking about the people that actually try to think of it as a healthy thing or well i mean people in the deconstruction space would think it's healthy for a different mm -hmm. reason but the people who are trying to say oh no you can deconstruct with your bible in one hand and you know spiritual you know biblical authority um that's really just the kind of the evangelicals who are saying that there are some evangelical mm -hmm. thought leaders saying oh no it's okay just deconstruct but use the bible well the people in the yeah. deconstruction movement online are that they're laughing at that. That's not what deconstruction is. So it's it is being defined in a lot of different ways. But I think Tim and I are actually a, a little bit unique in the evangelical space that we're actually saying, no, you can't redeem this word. It is a specific thing. Mm -hmm. And it's not about having correct beliefs. It's not about, you know, truth with a capital tree, what T, whether you like it or not. And so that's yeah. and you know, we didn't really get into the postmodern part of it yet, but we really I, I really think maybe people will think that's controversial, but I really do think that it's rooted in postmodernism as well. Yeah, which most mm -hmm. people that are in that camp will say, uh, so what? What's so wrong with right. postmodernism? Yeah. You know, right. yeah. so, like Paul talks about like milk and meat, you know, and when I think about mm -hmm. like, like there's a time in your Christian life where like you're just, you know, drinking milk, but then like you need to become an adult Christian. And like, so, so mm -hmm. if that's what, you know, the, the exact word deconstruction could be where you sort of become an adult Christian or something mm -hmm. like you, 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 you kind of shed maybe some of the platitudes or the cliches that mm -hmm. you were, that you were taught for your own spiritual safety by your parents and your Sunday school mm -hmm. teachers and your pastors, and you become an adult. Great. We, we encourage that process, but okay. But like you said, it's like become trademarked, uh, to, to become this process, you know, and yeah. my guess is that the people on the other side, they actually don't care how you get to their beliefs or the right beliefs mm -hmm. of leftist Christianity or progressive Christianity mm -hmm. or atheism or whatever. They don't care how you get there. They'll, yeah. you know, it's just so long as you welcome to the yeah. club. Yeah. 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 Evan, you brought up a really good point. Um, what we, what we would call that whole like uh, milk to meat process would be reformation or reforming your faith. Okay, mm -hmm. so this is where this is where you're like the Lutherans Berean. love that and, term. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You're you're searching the scriptures to see if these things are so, you know. And this is what see, this is where the confusion lies because you have someone like Derek Webb from Cademan's Call, and he tweets, oh, Well, deconstructing 
It does. But deconstructing is just like, is just reforming. That's what he said. And he says, your church deacons would be, should be happy that we're doing Semper Reformanda. That's Latin, always reforming. But mm-hmm. that quote is Ecclesia Reformata, Semper Reformanda, Secundum Verbi Dei, which is, you're always reforming. Secundum Verbi Dei, according to the word of God. Ooh. That's what the reformers said. They mm-hmm. didn't say, see, what Derek Webb's done is he has whatever, rethought his faith, but not according to the word of God. He has yeah. rejected the word of God. That's yeah. a different process. That's yep. not what the Bereans did. So right. again, we're just, we're actually, um, what we're doing is showing, here's what the deconstructionists themselves are saying. So we quote them, you know, what, uh, like Elisa said, like 200 times, we have all these footnotes. Here's what they're saying. And we're hope that we're hoping that they would see, hey, we're trying to accurately show what they believe. What I think is the surprise, <laughs> and as I give talks and Elisa gives talks on this, I think our congregations are shocked at what the deconstructionists are actually saying. Yeah. And so what we're doing in our book and what we do in our talks now is I'm just exposing you to like the underbelly of what deconstruction really is. Mm-hmm. Um, because I think what evangelicals are doing is, ah, it's like questioning, you know, and just, yeah. you know, we got to get rid of some of our false beliefs anyways. And so, yeah, let's just all deconstruct together. But the problem is when these individuals go into the echo chamber or they go to a faith coach like Joe Lumen or, um, or whoever, and, and, and they get teleported into that, into, into deconstruction, it's a totally different process. It's not what the pastor is encouraging. And so you know, we just want to be clear about that. I think that I should become a faith coach. I've never heard that term before, but it sounds like a total like racket that you I could make some money from, like mm-hmm. almost like a cult leader, like a life coach, but a mm-hmm. faith coach. Oh my gosh. Sorry. That made me gag a little. Okay. Elisa, you used a term back when you wrote your first book and then you came on our podcast and I, um, I want to offset it with toxic theology. You talked about when your own journey, you kept trying to figure out what Orthodox historical Christianity taught. And I think when people hear Orthodox historical, unless they're real theology nerds, I think that almost sounds like you're saying like Catholic or old fashioned or antiquated. Like, why does it matter that it's historical? Why, why not use the word biblical? Like why Mm. historical, why Orthodox? And then what you would call orthodox historical, is that what some people would call toxic theology? Maybe offset Mm. those two and define some terms there. Yeah, that's a great question. So I, you know, it was tough when I was writing another gospel, I was trying to come up with a phrase. I'm sorry, but that sounds like you were saying you were writing another gospel. Oh no. That's funny. That's the title of her first book. Yeah. Another gospel with a question mark. (laughs) (laughs) Because it's not another gospel. Um, But when I was writing that, um, I, I wanted to come up with a phrase that would represent the opposite of progressive Christianity. And I did toy with like biblical Christianity, maybe conservative Christianity, but those, you know, conservative Christianity has political that sounds baggage. sounds like how you vote. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't want political baggage because I, in fact, another gospel was a, a merely theological look at progressive Christianity. I didn't even get into the political side. There's a lot of, you know, political stuff that could be discussed, but it was just a purely theological look. And um, so I, I almost went with biblical, but then I thought, you know, the the progressives are going to push back on that because a lot of progressive Christians think that they're biblical yep. Christianity. That's what they represent. And so, um, you know, I heard a progressive Christian pastor talk about how 
Christianity is progressing. You know, we're, he was talking about the Bible like an ancient spiritual travel journal. In fact, that was his phrase. <laughs> and I thought, okay, so I think what every, both sides could agree upon is one is rooted in like the, the his, historical beliefs and one believes that those things are progressing. Now, obviously that doesn't represent every progressive Christian, you know, because it's not monolithic like that. It's very fluid. It's constantly changing. Um, you know, a lot of beliefs that fall under that umbrella. But um, basically, this one particular progressive pastor was saying, you know, the people who Jesus knew in real life, like the people we call apostles, he said those represented Christianity in its infancy. This is like a baby that's just learning to crawl before it walks. And so as we evolve morally, spiritually, oh physically, we can make corrections on that. And we're, so what I wanted to do was when I say historic Christianity, what I don't mean, and this gets misunderstood sometimes because people might just hear the phrase and not actually read the book or, or hear what I have to say about it. But historic Christianity does not mean you just peek back into church history and pick somebody you like and say, well, that's a part of Christian history. So that's historic Christianity. That's mm -hmm. not what I mean. What I mean is I want to go back to the earliest beliefs. What did the first Christians think this thing was? Because if you read the New Testament, there are phrases like in Jude, passing down once for all. This There's this one faith that's passed down. Paul saying, if anyone preaches a different gospel than what we taught you, let him be a curse. I mean, there's very mm -hmm. strong language in reference to what this core gospel message is. Mm -hmm. Even Paul in 1 Corinthians uh, 15, where he gives us that creed, that really early creed, and he's saying this is of utmost importance. Like there are things we can agree to disagree about, but we can't sure. agree to yeah. disagree about these things. So what are those beliefs? And then trace those through church history. Because what you Got do it. see is those things start to go off the rails. You know, we have mm -hmm. the circumcision party right even there in the New Testament. Of course, you've got Gnosticism and all sorts mm -hmm. of different things coming along the pike. And ultimately, the church trying to get that thing back on the rails, according to those original historical beliefs. And so um, that that would be what I mean by historic Christianity. Now, where toxic theology comes in, and that and that can be a tricky thing because nobody wants to have toxic theology. Right? No one I don't wants want to toxic believe, anything. I don't want to believe harmful, oppressive, and toxic beliefs. Mm. But but the problem in the deconstruction hashtag is that. The, the toxic theology is very self-determined. Yep. So it's it's not based on what's rooted outside of you. Um, it's it's what resonates with you. So if if you feel like there is a teaching that is causing you harm, and that's self-defined harm, then you can reject that as toxic theology. And so this is maybe a good place to bring in the postmodernism because that's really where this toxic yeah. theology conversation is rooted. So, yeah. you know, postmodernism is a lot of things, but I, I think it's it's fair to say on a grand scale, it's a rejection of the idea that objective truth could be known, especially when it comes to religion and morality. So what mm -hmm. we should and shouldn't do morally and what we should believe about God and spirituality uh, in, in postmodernism, these aren't things that people can know. So when the Christian comes along making objective claims that they're saying are true for everyone, things like you're a sinner, you need to be saved, Jesus died on a bloody cross, he rose from the dead, there's only one way to God and it's through Jesus, he's coming back to judge the living and the dead, there's this place of punishment called hell. These kinds of beliefs, the postmodern person isn't interacting with those claims on the level of, well, is that true? Right. And what's your evidence for that? It's it's more like, why would you be saying that if nobody can even know if those things are true? Well, 
the church must just be trying to control people with fear. Mm -hmm. They're they're trying to prop up an oppressive system. And so that is seen as inherently toxic and, and abusive. Mm -hmm. So any kind of objective claim like that would be seen as oppressive. And so that's what we see in the deconstruction explosion is that toxic theology really refers to anything like being told you're a sinner. In fact, this is referred to as an abusive doctrine to tell somebody that yeah. they're inherently sinful. And but but it's not rooted in reality. And so, you know, I don't want to have toxic beliefs, but mm -hmm. I can only know what's toxic if I first know what's true. And this is just a little mm -hmm. example I gave in my second book that kind of relates with this. My son, when he was really young, we had to take him to the dentist to have a cavity drilled. And he had a lot of learning delays and a hard time understanding what was going to be happening. So I didn't, I couldn't really help him understand what was going to be happening. And he has sensory issues. He's very sensitive to sound. So I just remember looking at him when he was in that chair and the dentist's hands are in his mouth. And my son is just looking at me like, save me from this. This mm -hmm. is awful. I don't, this is horrible. Why are you doing this to me? But see, I, I as his mom, I have more information and I know- yeah. But actually what he's going through is necessary because if we don't deal with the cavity, it could burrow into the bone and cause a whole host of health problems down the road that could cause him more pain. So this is actually not a toxic thing that's happening to him. It's actually a healthy and a life-giving thing that's happening to him, but he doesn't have all the information. And that's yeah. why it's so important for us to root what we think about words like oppressive, harmful, and toxic we have to root those things in objective truth because we won't, it, unless you know it's objectively true, you can't know if something's actually harming you or not. And yeah. so um, that that's, I think, where the toxic theology conversation comes into it. Yeah. No, oh, man, that's so good. Um, okay. A million questions I'm not going to ask because I'm looking at the time <laughs> and we're flying through it. But you you talked a couple of, uh, you mentioned a couple things that I know are some of the like watershed linchpin pivot points for people that bring them into kind of deconstruction mode. So Tim, I'm wondering if you can lay out, I know in your yeah. book, you talk about some of the like big reasons why people yeah. start to deconstruct, walk away from faith, all of that kind of stuff. Maybe list some sure. of this for us. I mean, Elisa just said the thing about sure. sin. I don't like being told yeah. I'm sinful either, by the way. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's really rude, quite honestly. <laughs> so. Yeah. Well, well, what we do in the book is we make a distinction. Of course, this was uh, months of thinking this through. A lot of people will um, conflate the crisis that kind of leads to or triggers the deconstruction with the deconstruction itself. And what we what we uh, landed on was actually there's a difference between the crisis itself, the crisis of faith, and uh, the process of deconstruction that that might result from that. And because it occurred to us that how can two people could go through the same exact crisis and maybe have kind of the same upbringing. Um, and yet one person goes into deconstruction and one doesn't. Mm -hmm. And so, so what's the, what's the difference there? So what we found was there's the crisis and there are things that trigger that. We'll talk about some of those in a second, but also um, your faith foundation. Like what is the foundation for your faith? And um, of course, Jesus talks about faith, faith foundations in the parable of the soils. And he talks specifically about the rocky soil, the stony soil. And what he says there is, you know, the seed, it, it at least initially springs up, right? It grows. But when the sun comes out, it scorches the plant and it withers and dies. And Jesus actually gives an interpretation of that. He says, he says, this is like, this is like the one who hears the word and receives it with joy. And they endure for a while, he says, but then when, when tribulation and persecution arise on account of the word, well, they fall away. Those are his words. They fall away. 
And so the foundation plays uh, an integral part in, in how your crisis of faith, where it will take you. Now, what are the things that, that um, kind of instigate or trigger uh, deconstruction? Well, there's many. In fact, we, in the book, we say, look, if you've heard one deconstruction story, then you've heard one deconstruction That's right. story. <laughs> it's not like you've heard one, you've heard them all. But there are, I mean, if we, if you listen to enough stories, you find out that there's a lot of things that show up, yep. um, like suffering, suffering mm-hmm. and evil. There's a lot of deconstructions who will describe some um, experience that they've had um, with, with suffering. Um, there's uh, spiritual abuse um, mm. or what they might call, and this is a, this is a tricky word yeah. because there is absolute abuse that happens. And as Christians, we need to recognize it and we need to weed that out. I mean, if there's pastors that are abusing their congregation, those pastors got to go, you know, yeah. we're not hiding that we're not, the church has, has done some bad things and we recognize that there's yeah. actual abuse and that needs, that is, that is not from God. Okay. That needs to go. And those individuals are not believers, you know, this kind of thing. Um, But then there's things as Alisa just uh, highlighted, you know, like, like telling someone they're a sinner or talking about hell. Yep. Well, that's considered, that's considered, you know, uh, trying to control people based on fear. You're, you're, you're doing spiritual abuse Mm -hmm. and where, and we would say, no, if, if, as Elisa just said, if there really is a reality of hell, and this is what I think Jesus taught, then it is not just, you know, fear mongering or something when you say, you, pleading with people to turn to Christ so they don't um, end up um, in a very real place like hell. So um, so there's, there's those kinds of things. There's, of course, the politics stuff that's going yep. on. Now, this is, I think this is, um, really kind of a United States kind of American yes. phenomenon. Um, I'm a Canadian, you know? And so frankly, mm-hmm. I mean, Elisa and I had an interview with uh, someone who's got a pretty actually large platform. They're a, uh, maybe they call themselves a progressive Christian. They promote deconstruction and um, they were naming some of these guys who are part of Christian nationalism. And I actually didn't have a clue who they were talking about. Oh, funny. You know? Yeah. It's just like, it's like, that's not kind of on our, on our radar. Um, you know, we don't, you don't see many flags in churches, you know, that kind of thing <laughs> around here. So it's, it's not, it's not the same kind of issue here, but of course in the U S evangelical church, it is a big deal. And, uh, and again, there's some really wacky, wonky, horrible stuff that goes on where you try to marry your politics to your, to your, um, faith or something. Yeah. And so that needs to be addressed as well. So you got all these different things. And, um, and so Elisa and I, I think we, we try to communicate that, look, these are reasons to get rid of those particular doctrines or maybe leave that church and go to a healthier church. Absolutely. But, but this is not a reason to throw Christianity out altogether. Sure. Because Christianity is in fact true. And it is at the end of the day, the healthiest thing that you can be a part of because it mm. is true. And mm. it is, it is, uh, it is hope filled and, and redemptive. And, you know, all those things we read about in the new Testament. Yeah. Um, it actually so, works. I don't know if, you know what I mean? Yeah, like, it, 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 and it works because it's true, right? Yes. That's the thing. It's not just a pragmatic, well, you know, we all seem to get along. So let's keep doing, let's keep living out this illusion. No, that's not it at all. 
Um, yeah. It works because it's true. So I'm I'm not sympathetic to the deconstructionist movement at all. However, yeah. I am pretty critical of a lot of what goes on in the evangelical church. You know, um, sure. you know the 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 um, the megachurch wannabes and the, what's the church mm. growth movement and the the um, what's the what's that word? The, Emergent uh, seeker no. sensitive seeker sensitive. Attractional yeah. model, all that kind of stuff. So, is that what people are leaving? Are, are people second guessing? Mm. Are they deconstructing from a version of Christianity that is barely Christianity to begin with? Huh. And it's so watered down. I mean, young people in their twenties shouldn't be surprised at questions of suffering and of hell and of other things. But it seems like, oh, I've never heard this before. Well, yeah. Well, if your church is just trying to get Saddleback yeah. Sam into the pew, yeah, they're, <laughs> they, they're not going to talk about that. So, I don't know. In, in yeah, your you're, you're like. Yeah. Yeah. You're, you're preaching my sermon right here. <laughs> so, oh, okay. um, yeah, I'm, I'm personally very, very concerned and critical of the mega church model. Now it certainly isn't anything wrong with having a big, a large church, but there's a mega church model. There's a seeker sensitive model where people are hiring strategic growth experts to get a certain demographic to come to their church and to grow it based on this demographic that they're, that they're shooting for. And um, I, I think that, so to answer your question, in, in my research, and Tim might have something he wants to add to this, I think we have seen people deconstruct out of all sorts of different churches, even, you know, really Bible-based churches. But I think what we see more are people deconstructing out of these like mega church seeker-sensitive seeker models where essentially you can go to church and go to youth group your whole life and really love it, love all the things that they do and the trips you get to take and the games and all of the things that you get to do. But And they might think they're Christians because they might even yep. believe a lot of the right yeah. beliefs, that, but they've never, what they haven't done is trust in Jesus as their savior. Right. They might believe that he's the savior, but they haven't trusted in Jesus ooh, as ooh, their savior. Good. Well, you know, even the Bible says the demons believe yep. and tremble. Yep. They have correct theology. Demons believe the <laughs> right things about Jesus. And so I think yeah. that, um, yeah, I, I've, I've got so many concerns about that seeker-sensitive model. I actually was, um, I worked with a church that had one of those strategic growth experts. And I watched over the course of a few years, it just get watered down and watered down and watered down. And, they're, and it's like they're not even preaching the gospel anymore after a while. And so I do think that, um, and here's another connection I, I think is possible to make. I'm not a sociologist, so this is kind of anecdotal. But with that megachurch model, there's always the social media presence and the ambition for social media presence, which I think lends itself to more attracting more narcissistic types of pastors, which sets mm -hmm. up an environment for spiritual abuse. Mm -hmm. Because when you have that celebrity wheel. narcissistic pastor thing, which I think is just like an epidemic right now, um, you are ripe for spiritual abuse. And when when you're and this is where I have so much compassion for for people in deconstruction, because, I mean, we've heard stories. There was one story that didn't make it into the book, but it was um, a woman who had like three in a row church experiences of the same kind of bully pulpit pastor. In fact, one of them was, uh, she had gone to the famous Harvest Bible Chapel, you yeah. know, where that whole thing got brought and then, and then lands right into something else that was almost the same thing. And she's legitimately confused. She's like, uh -huh. what is Christianity? I mean, the guy that told me I'm a sinner, the guy that told me I need a, a savior is an abuser. So what do I do with that? And yeah. so I think it's, it's very confusing. And as you can see, I, I'm kind of passionate about that topic, but I think you're right. I think, um, this this whole and then of course you have um these i i think that that 
Christian nationalism as the conversation. There's different flavors of that. Like there are people actually making it, trying to make a case for Christian nationalism, which I'm very concerned about. I think that's going to end up being extremely damaging to the church. Then you have people who are sort of accused of it because they might have conservative politics. Yeah. And then you have other people that are more a part of this new apostolic reformation where it is, it's very enmeshed. The, the political, mm. um, even with their eschatology, and I think that's very dangerous. So there's a lot of, you know, wrong things out there. But that doesn't mean that Christianity is untrue or wrong. That's right. It means those are distortions and abuses of the real thing. Man, I want to make a little short of that little bit you said about, um, and I just, yeah. I'm just saying it again because I want our listeners to hear it. That was so good about Many people believe in Jesus, but they haven't put their trust in Jesus. I think that describes some of the people that are checking out our events. I, I think maybe in that camp for now, right? We want want them to stay there, but um, I think that I'm going to use that as a segue to a little bit of a. Um, we're going to get a little juicy here because um, if anybody follows me on social media, you may know that I posted that we were going to be doing this interview, um, and I posted a picture with me and the book because I love. This is like one of the perks of being a podcaster is that they send you the books ahead of time. And so you get to read all the fun books. Um, I posted that and uh, a really lovely, thoughtful, but more on the progressive end pastor who's been on our podcast a couple of times. We're not going to name him, but um, said something like, oh boy, like what's, you know, what's going on or what's this about or whatever. And so we started bantering a little bit and uh, you, it cannot be news to you guys that you have critics out there, right? Um <laughs> So this would be one of a voice for critics. And so I asked him, are there a couple of questions that you would want me to ask in the podcast to, to, you know, represent sort of the other side of the aisle as it were. So I'm going to throw these out and let you guys field them. Um, so if we have people listening, they're like, this isn't actually a fair stance because you mentioned things like Christian nationalism and actual abuse. Here's the question. It is a multi-part question, but it goes like this. And Elisa, I'm going to ask you to start, but then Tim, you can chime in. It says, how much of a danger is progressive Christianity in practicality? Based on how you've defined progressive Christianity in terms of doctrine, approximately what percentage of churches would fall under this category and how much tangible harm are they able to commit? Aren't there vastly more Christians and vastly more churches that are currently teaching Christian nationalism, xenophobia, patriarchy, end times hysteria, and other ideologies that generate way more oppression and suffering. Hmm. Elisa, what is your response to one of your yeah. critics? <laughs> well, I appreciate that question. Um, so as far as the percentage, I don't know if I could say what percentage of churches are progressive. I mean, mm -hmm. I think it would be safe to say that theologically, the mainline denominations, you know, as, as theological liberalism kind of gained steam in the late uh, 1800s, early 1900s, and we see those kind of split off. Uh, of course, all of those would adopt a more progressive type of the theology. Uh, progressive Christianity, as I define it, though, is something that's coming up and out of the evangelical church. It's very similar theologically to the, and many progressive Christians that I know go to mainline churches. So there's a lot of overlap there. Um, but I, I think that because of the nature of progressive Christianity, how it's sort of um, coming into evangelical churches and flipping them. That's typically what we see happen is, is a church will be maybe non-denominational mm -hmm. and it'll there'll be more and more progressive teaching. And then they may or may not even 
relabel themselves. Like my church mm -hmm. went ahead and relabeled itself. They don't always do that. They might yeah. just be operating as a progressive church and they may, you know, people in the pews may not even realize that. So I don't know if I could give a guess sure. on the percentage, but uh, regarding the part about the oppressive doctrines, I mean, I think we've, we've done a, a pretty thorough job throughout this whole interview describing kind of how I might answer that by saying, I suspect that my critic and I might define what's actually oppressive differently. So yeah. let's take the doctrine of hell, for example. Um, to say that teaching the doctrine of hell is oppressive um, assumes that it's not true. So if hell is not yeah. real, and yet you're telling people they're going to go to this place of punishment for eternity, well, that would be very oppressive if it wasn't yes. true. However, if it is true, if it is a real place, then it would actually be oppressive to withhold that information right. from people who have a choice as to whether or not they want to spend eternity with God and in his presence and in his goodness with all tears wiped away, no more mm -hmm. crying, no more pain, or if they choose a, an eternity of separation from God's goodness and mm -hmm. love and and mercy and kindness. Yeah. Um, and I think that, you know, hell is an interesting question in and of itself, because I'm always puzzled by the people who hate God's teachings, his, you know, what God has to say, they hate that in this life where he's even veiled from us. We see through a glass darkly. What makes us think they would want to be in his unveiled presence for all eternity. I think it sure. was even C.S. Lewis who said yes. even the blades of grass in heaven would feel like razor blades, you know, in that, in that, Okay, so I do think there are, we would want to untie any misunderstandings about hell. I had I wrote about this in my book, Another Gospel with a question mark, <laughs> that I had I grew up with a lot of misconceptions about hell and misunderstandings about hell. Mm -hmm. So you know I'd want to talk through some of those. Like what what do you think? You know if there is a church that's teaching wrong things about hell, then I would say let's get that corrected. If there's mm -hmm. a church teaching Christian nationalism, let's confront that and correct mm -hmm. that. If they're teaching um, you know, some, you know, patriarchy is a, a an interesting word because it can mean anything from, yes. you know, the feminist, what the feminists think we're talking about to the patriarchs in the Bible, of course. So we'd, we'd want to have that discussion. But I think basically what we want to do is teach people true things about God. And wherever there's something untrue being taught about God, we want to confront and correct that. And so that's yeah. to the best of my ability, what, what I'm trying to do with, with my ministry. I love that. That was a great answer. Tim, did you want great. to chime in thing or? No, that was really well put. That was great. Yeah. Well, then I'm going to give you the next one. So sure. I allowed this critic to give me two questions. Well, yeah, I broke it down into two. I don't need to read exactly how he put it, but the basic question is, are you guys in an echo chamber? And so he was asking like, could, he, he said, could you name, you don't have to name, but like, do you have a couple friends or do you have friends that are progressive Christians and do those relationships sort of help keep you humble? Um, because I think the worry is that all of the people like us, the four people in this quote room, I mean, we're on Zoom, but we're, we are in the same sort of camp, right? We are, we don't want people to slide into progressive Christianity away from Orthodox Christianity. Um, but are we just in an echo chamber? Do we not really get it? Do we have friends on the other side? So Tim, yeah. do you have any progressive Christian friends? <laughs> well, I, I, I do, but I actually take issue with the question itself. Um, okay. I mean, I mean, what follows if I said, no, I don't have any progressive friends. In fact, I don't have any friends that disagree with me. In fact, all of my friends believe exactly like I do. Okay. Now what? 
Yeah. What follows from that? Does that mean I'm somehow misrepresenting um, the people who I've read and watched their videos and, you know, quoted them in the book, the tweets, all the stuff? No, of course not. I mean, mm. you have to look at the merits, right? Either I'm misrepresenting or I'm not. Now, right. now I get it. They're, they're wondering, hey, can you really understand someone? And I like to give people the benefit of the doubt. So I assume the deconstructionists um, are caring and they are loving and they have experienced things. And, and so I'm trying to, we try to understand them in the best light possible. But even having said all of that, I want to look at the ideas themselves. So let's let's bring this out of the realm of the individuals, which is what the question's about. Do you know any individuals? And I want to talk about the ideas. And we wrote a book about ideas. And my hope is that we accurately represented them. And that's why there are something like 200 footnotes that are all just social media tweets and YouTube videos and this kind of thing and book quotes that are trying to say, okay, here's what the naked pastor says. Or here's what Joe Lumen says. And these are her words. They're not my words. They're her words. And my hope is that when I say that, you know, the naked pastor says that deconstruction is a way of life and that you shouldn't reconstruct, you should always be deconstructing. In fact, that's reconstructing means that you're just going to have to deconstruct that new reconstruction. So don't bother. That's what he says. I mean, you can read the words yourself or go watch his videos. We got the links. So is that Mr. And so when we say that, my hope is, hey, we're echoing exactly what the deconstruction says. Now we have a problem with it. We don't we don't agree with him, sure. but we've at least accurately represented him. Okay. Yeah. And uh, and so I think that's the best we can do. Now, of course, the echo chamber thing works both ways. By the way, it works because of the way social media works. You you get into the algorithm and they're going to start showing you videos and the way kind of friendships work is we like to hang out with certain people because we share things in common. I mean, that's just how it it works. And we do our best, even in light of that, to go into those spaces and try to understand where those people are coming from. So I'll just I'll speak for myself and Elisa, you can jump in. Man, I spent so many hours in the deconstruction echo chamber that it was like affecting me personally, okay? Mm. Like I would go into my office here with a cup of coffee and do some, start writing. And I would leave like depressed. Why? Because I was watching the videos and listening to the podcast. And it was just honestly so much negativity, so much animosity, hostility. Mm. And it was just like so many straw men that's so frustrating, you know, when it's like, and you leave thinking, does this person, they said they left Christianity, but the Christianity that they're describing is, doesn't resemble anything right. like the Christianity that I'm familiar with, that I'm a part of. So what is going on here? You know, not the truth. So again, I, I take issue with the, where the question is even coming from, as if, if I just had one more progressive friend or one more, you know, person who disagreed with me, that that would somehow change my view or something. And yeah. uh, I don't think that's the way this works. I think what we want to do is, of course, make friends with as many people. I'm Canadian. I like to be liked. <laughs> I want to be kind. Con- I want to be kind, but I also want to know what's true. And yeah. that's what we did our best to do in this book. Well, and then you're, you're constantly going back to that. And I appreciate that very logical answer. You can tell you used to be a science teacher. It was <laughs> science you taught, right? Mm-hmm. That's right. Yeah. So I will give our listeners a tip. If you do want to lose friends, 
you can post a picture of yourself. Oh, poor Lisa Childers. (laughs) When I posted a picture of your first book, another gospel question mark. It's funny. (laughs) How many times do you have to? Yeah. It sounds like, you know, uh, you're, you're like Joseph Smith or Muhammad. You're like, there's more, but no, that's just the title of a book. But I posted a picture of that and I had someone tell me we're done. If you're, if you're listening to that lady, whatever. So yeah. Can I, can I comment on that kind of piggyback on, on Tim's answer there? That was a great answer, Tim. But I think Sarah, what you're describing, if somebody unfriending you is really like what this critic is asking, like we're seeing people isolate themselves off. Like you disagree with me or you're listening to this person. So we're not going to be friends anymore. And so I guess my general answer to that is I would echo everything Tim just said, but I would also say just, I think it's probably a good idea for all of us. And I really do try to not just be in an echo chamber where everybody agrees with me. And of course, you know, as I shared my story, I was literally discipled by a progressive Christian pastor and my entire community was progressive Christians. Now, am I close friends with all of those people today? No, certainly not. There are people who have dropped off. I can't think of anybody that I had a falling out with, though, or, you know, where we were just like, we're not going to talk anymore. You know, we drifted, but I do have people in my life who are very close to me, who are very Mm -hmm. progressive. And, um, you know, I have to, I have to navigate those relationships like everyone else. But uh, in an effort to not just be sucked into an echo chamber, I try to read books written by self-professed progressive Christians so that I'll understand what they're saying and what they're coming from. And like Tim said, we just, we spent, what was it, at least a year, maybe a year and a half, just immersed in these um, online spaces. And so, and so much to the fact that my Kindle is completely confused about me. It's actually quite <laughs> hilarious. Like when you go to my Amazon, it's like, it'll suggest, it, it, it doesn't, because I have Richard Rohr books and then I have like Wayne Grudem and they're like, who are you? We just, maybe you'd like N.T. Wright. We don't know. And we don't so, know. Yeah, it's funny. always N.T. Wright because it's like both sides kind of like him. sort so. of in the middle or something. <laughs> yeah. Nadia so, Boltz-Weber. Um, no. Yeah, so my, my earnest answer to that question is that I truly do my best to not be in an echo chamber. And that's probably something that we all need to try to do, especially in this world where those algorithms, man, they they get finely tuned to try to feed you information. And so that's, that's again, though, just to hit this, this drum again, is why truth is so important. It's so important that we pursue what's true about reality, what's real. And that's, um, I think, what Tim and I, especially in this book, did our best effort to do to represent this movement accurately, compassionately, and ultimately give the church a resource. Because that's the other thing that people need to understand. This is not the book you're going to give to your friend who's in deconstruction. We didn't write that it to them or for them. We wrote it for and to their sisters, their brothers, their spouses, their parents, their pastors. We wanted to give the church a resource to really understand what's happening to the people in their lives that they love very much, that they're trying to understand what's happening to them and how they can uh, navigate those relationships. Yeah, I was going to use my sort of last question, though we've run out of time, to basically say, how do you engage with people that are on that train? And um, I mean, if, and if you want to say something quickly, you can, but maybe this is just a great way to say y'all should go get the book. Uh, it's called The Deconstruction of Christianity, what it is, why it's destructive and how to respond, which is where I was going to end things. I mean, if if either of you wants to just give a quick like one nugget to think about as you are responding to friends that are maybe starting to toy with deconstruction, that would be great. And then I'll, I'll go ahead and close this out. Tim, do you have any, like one thing well, to keep in I mind? Was just, I was going to get Elisa to, uh, <laughs> to, I think that we have, is it the chapter is this yeah. cha- the advice chapter is actually available if people pre-order, right? 
Yes, that's right. So Sarah, I'm so glad you asked this question and I'll, I'll try to be so quick about this, but the one nugget I would give is that when you understand the nature of deconstruction, you understand what's happening to your loved one, you need to understand that they already probably have decided that you are a toxic and a harmful person because of your beliefs. And so it, because of that, resist the evangelical urge, the knee-jerk reaction to try to like fix their theology over coffee. I know that goes against- oh, But I'm so good at know, fixing other people's I theology. know, don't you? I know. But it's <laughs> we in the book, we say, you know, you have permission to back off and just try to maintain the relationship. Really, if, mm. if there is relationship, seek to understand, like really seek to understand, listen, mm -hmm. cry with those who cry if there's been abuse or whatever that might be. And But, but put the theology correction to the side in the mm -hmm. beginning because- it's really not a battle over what's true or false. This is something that's deeply uh, personal that's going on with your friend and loved one. But with that said, what Tim's alluding to is if you pre-order the book, anytime between now and January 30th, or is it 31st? I can't remember. I always forget, but it's one of those. Um, you can go to the deconstructionofchristianity.com and put in, there's a little form where you can put in your receipt number and you're going to get an email back with that entire advice chapter where we answer at length this question you've just asked, but you'll get it early. Mm -hmm. Like you'll get it today, right now. And then you'll also get access to 60 days of the audiobook for free. So you'll get a, a much more extensive answer to that question. Be pre-order yeah. and then go to the deconstructionofchristianity.com. Awesome. And I just want to do a shameless plug. That's why yeah. I was looking at my phone. I wrote an article. It's called What If Only 10 Million Can Be Found? It's a reference to Abraham negotiating with Sodom and Gomorrah. Anyway, mm. but it, the first question that he asked was, does this actually do damage? How many progressives are there? So I actually try to do a numerical and percentage look. Because like, if you look at the Roman Catholic Church as well, like what if they are overcome by progressive thought, which I think they may be on the cusp of doing in the next decade yeah. or two. So mm -hmm. I try to say, actually, American Christianity could become quite a substantial, uh, Orthodox Christianity could be quite a substantial minority. So um, that article is about that. But And where can they find that? that book, everymancommentary.com everymancommentary.com right there sometimes. Um, okay, so that's where you can find Evan's thoughts on this. Uh, Alisa, where can people find you if they want to um, learn more, see your yeah, podcast, it, listen to it, whatever? Um, on Instagram and Facebook, at Alisa Childers. Also have the Alisa Childers podcast and YouTube channel. And my website is alisachilders.com. Well, that's nice and easy. It's A-L-I-S-A. So in my mind, I called you Alyssa for a long time, but it's Alyssa. <laughs> okay. And Tim, where can people find you? If we are not traveling to Canada, that is. Yeah. So they can go to str.org. That's Stand to Reason's website. So str.org. And we got articles, videos, I mean, all kinds of stuff on there. And then if they want to track with the Red Pen Logic stuff, <clears throat> just, uh, man, whatever social platform you're on, you'll find Red Pen Logic. So just, just search Red Pen Logic. You'll find yeah. it. Yeah. That's awesome. And if either of you ends up coming to Houston anytime soon, hit us up. We'd love to have you come to one of our events in person or uh, cool. do a podcast in person. That'd be a lot of fun. Um, but if you want to know more about us and what we're doing, both with the podcast and our live events, you can go to theologybythepint.com well, or net LMNOP. <laughs> Um, we, we learned our lesson from doing things wrong the first time. So now we own everything. So <laughs> theology by the pint, you can just Google it and you can find all about our leadership or our upcoming events, how to give us, you know, bags of cash, if that's what you want to do. Um, but, but we would love to have people visit us and come to our events live and ask their own questions. So, um, thank you guys so much for doing this. This has been great. And until we see, uh, you guys and our listeners next, we encourage you as always to question freely, think deeply and disagree as needed.